I begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer? Dear Lord, in your mercy, even as we come this Maundy Thursday in remembrance of you, and as we partake of these sacraments that you have given to us, Lord, a means of your grace, remind us again, Lord, of your great love for us, that while we were yet sinners, you gave your life for us, Lord. And so may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> this particular season, uh, the readings and the, the pulpit sharing is actually following our, uh, uh, our NT Plus plan reading. And so you would have encountered Mark, chapter 14, either yesterday or today, uh, if you've been following. I know some people have lagged behind many days already, uh, so it's a gentle reminder that it's good to keep to the, to the plan, the schedule, uh, because this is where we are. Uh, we were just remarking just now that this, it's not very often that the church actually sings a psalter. And uh, this time around, we took the psalter that was from Psalm 116. And there's a particular reason why Maundy Thursday, we tend to take a Psalter from uh, either 114 all the way up to 118. They are known as the uh, Hallelujah Psalms, apart from the Psalms that are right at the end. Uh, they call Hallelujah Psalms because at the end of each Psalm or at the beginning or somewhere in the middle, you will have this term, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is translated in Hebrew, Hallel. Hallelujah. Okay, praise the Lord. And in particular, uh, you can imagine as we read uh, that text just now in Mark chapter 14, uh, right at the end when they sung a hymn, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It is common in the practice of the Passover that as they have shared the Passover meal, they would actually be making their way to the Mount of Olives. And Psalm 114 to 118, those would be the Psalms that they will be singing. So can you imagine Jesus uh, singing aloud Psalm 116 that we just said just now? My soul is heading towards Sheol, vain is all our hope in man. These would be the thoughts that are going through his head even as he prepares for the time when he's going to finally uh, confront the cross. I've titled this sharing, uh, Surely You Don't Mean Me. Uh, in various translations, it comes across uh, slightly differently. Uh, in the original Greek, it would have come across, uh, It is not I, is it? Uh, so, you imagine the disciples saying, it's not I, is it? And so they're very unsure about themselves. The NIV, the, the latest version, puts there, surely you don't mean me. This is in, uh, in reflection of how Jesus confronts them with this challenge that one among you will be betraying me. But let me go to the beginning of the text. At the beginning of the text, when we were first reading it, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, 
Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So this was Jesus' Passover. They knew as disciples that this was the Passover of the Lord Jesus. He, went, uh, he sent two of his disciples telling him, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, this is particularly unusual because uh, in the Passover period, there are a lot of people that are going to the city in order to uh, do their pilgrimage. Uh, but Jesus gives them this one factor which would identify this person uh, away from other people. It would be a man carrying a jar of water. Uh, to our time, maybe it doesn't seem so unusual, but in those periods, it was very unusual for a man to carry a jar of water. It was normally relegated to the women uh, to carry these jars of water. In fact, if you go to certain parts of the Middle East, that is still the same. The women would be walking miles away carrying all these containers. They'd be carrying the jars. The men would be somewhere else, either working in the field or doing other things. So this person is identifiable mainly because he's a male and he's carrying water. Go into the city and you'll find a man carrying a jar of water and he'll meet you, follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Uh, he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. Now it's pretty obvious that at the outcome of this, Mark wants to convey across to the readers that Jesus has foresight or foreplanned. Either way, he is in full control of what is going to happen. He knows who they're going to meet. He knows where the Passover is going to be. It's in an upper room. Uh, it's a bit like a, a smaller box on top of a larger box. And so this upper room area has been prepared and it's a large room where all of them will be able to fit in. Disciples left, went into the city, found all the things as they are. Now Mark presents this clearly that Jesus is in control of the circumstances. Although what we will see in chapter 14, 15, 16, it would seem as if he's a victim of all these circumstances. But Mark is quite clearly telling that Jesus knew and that this had all been planned beforehand. Now while they were there, Jesus begins by saying this. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, unlike the setting in all the other synoptic gospels, or even in John, Mark's uh, rendition of this particular supper is very stark and very depressing. It's very dark. It immediately begins with this particular statement. There's no talk about the washing of the feet. There's no talk about all these other conversations that are going on. It goes directly to the point, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Verse 19 says, They were saddened and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. I'd like you to place yourself in this particular scene that Mark is uh, presenting. It's stark. Jesus comes and his first comment in this particular scene is, 
Someone's going to betray me, one who is eating with me. Surely you don't mean me. Were they unsure? Did Judas not know? But earlier on in chapter 14, we find in verse 10, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Judas had already been identified. There is no need like the other Gospels to identify him during the meal. But for the reader, they already know that Judas is the one that's doing this. And likewise, the disciple says, Surely you don't mean me. And verse 20, Jesus again responds, It is one of the twelve. Now, there's a, there's a narrowing of the scene because prior to this, one who is eating with me doesn't necessarily mean only the twelve. I know in our pictures, we always have the depiction of the twelve at the Last Supper, but nowhere did it say it's only the twelve. It would likely be all the followers who were with him may probably also include the women who were with him. So it's likely a crowd. And so from, from this first setting where he says, one who is eating with me, those who are following him and the inner circle that were fitted into this uh, large room, it narrows to a closer group. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Now it, it kind of depends what culture you come from in order for you to understand what it means when Jesus says, one who dips his bread into the bowl with me. In my travels, I realized one thing. Uh, in a very Western culture, they don't share a plate. Uh, when you order a meal, that entire meal is generally for you. Buffets are not so common, but essentially for buffets, you take from the buffet and you have your own plate and you go off and you eat. And so it's uh, very unusual because for the Chinese culture, you have all the food in front of you and everybody's sharing from that same meal and you are eating directly from it. Some people may argue there's very little hygiene involved in this because all the chopsticks go straight into your mouth before it goes out into plate. But it doesn't bother us because the people we share the meal with, these are family or very, very close friends equivalent to family. And so very similar in the Middle Eastern culture in Jesus' time, for a person to share in the meal would be considered family, kin, blood, close friends who would never betray you. And so for Jesus to say, the one who is sharing this bowl with me, the one that I dip this bread in together. Now, uh, various movies you might have watched uh, would have depicted Jesus dipping in and then Judas Iscariot dipping in together with him in the same bowl. Well, that's not necessarily what the text says. What is intended in this imagery is that we are sharing from the same table, from the same bowls. We are eating together. And so for the people to hear this, in their culture, this is shocking. Someone who is your bosom buddy, your, your, the one you have entrusted your life with, the one that you have shared your daily meals with, is going to betray you. 
And then Jesus goes on immediately in the way Mark responds, while they were eating, oh, well, well, sorry, let me read first what, what Jesus says about this. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Clearly, Mark is recording here that what Jesus is about to go through in the future, in the next few uh, 24 hours, has been written about him, has been prophesied. So Jesus is saying, he's the master of what is happening. God knows and has prophesied and written that all these things will be happened. He's not a victim. This is not some random plot that is going on. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 22, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, take it, this is my body. You find that in verse 22. Now, there's a little bit that is inserted in the English, which you don't find in the Greek. In the Greek, the word goes about Labete estin soma. Labete means take, eat, my body. So uh, there is no, this is my body. There is more, take my body. Labete, take my body. Very clearly indicating to them, as he broke the bread and he was dividing them to them, it's almost visually pointing out to them, this body of mine I'm giving to each and every one of you. Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Now whenever you make a covenant and you make a covenant because it is not between just one person but a covenant between one with many, uh, he's saying it is sealed in his blood and it is poured out in order to seal this with those who are there. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. And truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom. I'd like you to bear in mind, Mark's portrayal of this is Someone's going to betray him, but nonetheless, he says, this is my body. I'm giving it to each and every one of you. This is my blood, which is the covenant poured out for many. And so in spite of the betrayal, in spite of the doubt, knowing what is going to happen, he does this. John gives another portrayal pretty much in the same tone albeit towards the end. We know that Jesus, having washed their feet, says to them, this I've done for you. But also in that particular reading that we had there, Jesus also says, the hand of the one who is against me has dipped it into the bowl with me. The one who is sharing this meal with me has also done this with me.
He said this in verse 21. Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. How do you go through a meal knowing it's your last meal when the one who betrays you and the one who will also later on abandon you? Because in all our readings, we then later have Peter saying, uh, Jesus turning to Peter and saying, you will deny me. And he says, never, Lord. And Jesus turns to him and says, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he says, I would rather die than do that. And not only me, but all the rest. But we know in hindsight, all of these people abandoned him. Now let me reiterate this, and although I'm belaboring the point, Jesus is in full control of what's happening and he does this in order to remind them that what he is doing is in spite of the fact that there is one among them who will betray him and that all of them will deny him. He does this in the midst of enemies. He does this in the giving of himself, body and blood, clearly telling to them this is the new covenant. And in the example of John in verse uh, 33, uh, sorry, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How did Jesus love? He loved even his enemy. He loved even those who would betray him. And he gave of himself to those who would deny him and desert him and betray him. That is the thing that we need to remember about what Christ calls us to do. So in turn, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, no matter in situations whether you feel you've been betrayed, deserted, alone, lonely, and left abandoned, you feel as if you're a victim of circumstances. Remember that you are not. In the same way that Christ himself was not, he was not a victim, and we are not victims either, unless you allow it to be so. All things occur according to God's sovereign plan, and we surrender all things into his hand. Secondly, Jesus had communion with his brothers and sisters in the midst of those who would betray you. I challenge you also, in the midst of all the people that would betray you and all the treachery in this world, would you nonetheless have communion with the members of the church who are called by Christ's name? And finally, will you love as Jesus loved, in service, even to those who would betray you? I know these words are just words. I pray that you will take a moment now, even as I end, for you to contemplate what that means. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as Christ Jesus has loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are his disciples. Let us pray.
Father, on this night, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, your son Jesus washed his disciples' feet and said that they ought to wait on one another's feet, ought to wash one another's feet. We commit ourselves to follow his example of love and service. Friends, will you take a moment in order to commit to the Lord your areas of love and service that you are struggling with? After a moment which I will say these words, Lord, hear us, and we respond, Lord, humble us.